I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. I have this list that I call the swing for the fences list, this kind of shoot for the moon list of guests that I would love to come on the show. Today, we have one of those individuals from the list. Her name is Amy Purdy. She is a Paralympian snowboard champion. She was on Dancing with the Stars. Miss Oprah Winfrey has called her a hero. And She's a lot more than just an incredible athlete and uh, inspiring individual. In fact, she doesn't even like that word, inspiring. At age 19, she ended up losing her legs. She contracted a form of meningitis, and not only did she lose both of her legs below the knee, but she also lost both of her kidneys, and her father gave her one of his kidneys. Amy has faced a ton of serious adversity in her life, and she's, she's basically the token for resilience. In this conversation, we dive deep and dig into the specific things she does when she comes across those challenging and, and even near-death experiences that she's faced. At one point, she had 2% chance of living, and then recently she had another very serious scare. So we dive deep, and I think everyone can take away some tangible things that they can apply to their own situations based on what Amy has to say here. Here's Amy. Most of you know that I'm a big Headspace fan. And if you're new to the show, just as some background, I started using the Headspace app about a year ago, and it's been the single best thing I've ever done for myself. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes meditation and mindfulness is not what we imagine. (laughs) Yes, there are days when I feel like I'm in a Zen situation, and other days I've been known to hit the SOS button. There's literally an SOS button on the Headspace app. So there have been times where I've removed myself from certain situations and gone somewhere to push this button. One time I even escaped my car. So this quick three-minute mind saver has kept me from falling down that rabbit hole in some way. Or even saying things I didn't mean, maybe texting or emailing something to someone that I didn't mean. It's like taking a breath of fresh air and it just allows me to reset. And as Jimmy Fallon, who uses the app, has even said, it's great. This British guy comes on, tells me it's going to be all right. In fact, the British guy, Andy, who's been on the podcast, 
comes on and says this when you hit the SOS button. Okay, so you've hit the SOS button. So there's a pretty good chance you're feeling pretty stressed right now. So to begin with, I'd just like you to find a place where you can sit down just for two or three minutes, completely undisturbed. So maybe you already meditate, maybe not, but you want to start. Regardless of the case, let's be real. Most of us don't have a Zen sanctuary with a fluffy pillow, mood lighting to retreat to when we're about to lose it. So now you can literally have an SOS button that you push. It's a three minute pause. Thanks to Headspace. There hasn't been a time when I've hit that button and it hasn't made me feel better. Amy Purdy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. As I was saying before we hopped on, this is a bit of a dream come true to me to have you on. So thank you so much. And let's hop right in. In the spirit of why not now, and I consider you an Olympic why notter, literally. <laughs> um, can you think of a time that, that, and I know there are many, but a specific time when you asked yourself, why not now? And we will zoom in and dissect that moment. Absolutely. So like you said, there are many moments like that when I look back where I asked myself pretty much, why not now? And it became a defining moment of my life. So to round it down, since we only have a handful of minutes to talk, um, I think the main, the main one that really stands out for me is when I was asked to do my TED Talk. And so just to go back into my story a little bit, I grew up in Las Vegas. I was really active. I was never an athlete growing up, but I was a snowboarder and I loved snowboarding. It's what I did. It's what my friends did. I became a massage therapist so that I could travel the world and snowboard and have this job that would travel with me. Um, so I could basically become, I guess, a professional ski bum, <laughs> but <laughs> not, not have to live off of my parents' money. And so I ended up just kind of long story short, I got this great job in Vegas uh, as a massage therapist. So um, I, I was working, I was saving money, I was loving my life. I was only 19 years old and I was making great money and saving up to travel and just had these big plans for myself. And I ended up uh, coming down with something called meningococcal meningitis. It was an, it, it was something that hit me in an instant completely um, sideswiped me and I was in the hospital fighting for my life for three months and my life completely changed from that point forward. So let me see, I'm trying to, I'm kind of skipping around just a little bit, but very long story short, I ended up going on and snowboarding again, creating these legs to snowboard in. And I knew I had a story that I wanted to share. I knew that I, I, I visualized myself standing on stage sharing my story somehow and just letting people know that everything's going to be okay. Whatever it is you're going through, everything is going to be okay because I've gone through it myself. And I never really knew how to go about that, how to start speaking. I, I actually called my old high school and asked if I could go talk to their health classes. And so I did that and I was absolutely scared to death, petrified. So even though I had this story inside of me that wanted to come out, I was scared to death to do it. And I was definitely not a natural. I, 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 it was so hard for me to even stand in front of people and say, I've got two prosthetic legs, or I had my legs amputated without completely breaking down. It was just so, such a raw, 
vulnerable thing for me, yet I continued to have this feeling that I wanted to share my story somehow and I have a message to share. And so I kind of put it out there a little bit that I just needed to get better at speaking. And I I, I mentioned to, at the time I had a sponsor because I was snowboarding and um, I had a sponsor through Element Skateboards and their skateboard company, but they're, they kind of sponsored me on the lifestyle side. And and right away when, when the owner, Johnny Schillerif, asked, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, you know, I really want to speak. I really want the opportunity to speak. So I kind of put it out there a little bit. And he invited me to um, a school speech that he was doing. And he introduced me and had me talk for about 10 minutes. Once again, it was the scariest thing for me to do was to share these vulnerabilities and the story to all these, you know, high school students. And then the next year, these students were asked, who do you want to bring in to speak? And they requested to have me back, which was amazing. They wanted to hear more of my story. And so I kind of prepared for that talk and went back. And then the flyer for that talk ended up somehow one of the organizers for the TED conference Mm -hmm. on her desk. Somehow this just high school flyer of me speaking ended up in the hands of TED. And I was invited to speak at TED. And it was TEDx, which was one of the first TEDx conferences at the time. And one of the biggest TEDx um, conferences, which was Mm -hmm. in Orange County. So now there's TED Talks all across the world and multiple in, in different cities. But at that time, it was one of the first TEDx conferences. And so I was invited to speak at TEDx and I was a huge fan of TED Talks. So that is kind of one of the things that got me excited to try to speak was I would watch these TED Talks and you know, I thought, oh my gosh, all these people are amazing and they know how to speak so well and they have their stories together. And I always thought, someday that would be really cool. So when I'm like 40 years old, you know, or 45 and I've lived more (laughs) life and I have more to talk about, it would be really amazing. Like, like a highlight peak of my life to speak at TED. And suddenly, you know, I had only spoke at a high school and I got invited to speak at TED. And it was this really scary experience for me early on. I was so excited, first of all, when I got the email and the invite and the email was just so beautifully put together and and it said, you know, it was this PowerPoint and it said, get ready to do a speech, do the speech of your lifetime. No pressure. (laughs) And I know, no pressure. Exactly. It was like, like I opened this beautiful PowerPoint invitation and each slide was like, you've been invited. And then the next slide said to, you know, give the speech of your lifetime. And uh, like, it's just this massive, massive platform, or it can be this massive platform if you use it that way. Um, And so I was so excited. I cried when I first got this email. But then, of course, I was incredibly scared because I thought, oh my God, wait a second. I'm not ready. I am not ready. I've only spoke at a high school. The people who speak at TED are brilliant minds and experts in what they talk about. And they have so much amazing stuff to to say and their stories are so incredible. And they've written books and they've been on Oprah and they've done all this stuff. And I thought, I'm not ready. And so I battled with that self-doubt quite a bit. And I was... I basically look at it like 
okay, I wanted to do this. I put it out in the universe and then I was given this opportunity and I was called upon to step up. And I think that happens a lot in our lives when an opportunity comes by and it's amazing, but it's also so scary because it's taking you completely out of your comfort zone. And I mean, they say one of the scariest things that people can do is speak Mm -hmm. in front of an audience of people. You know, people will say they'd rather die (laughs) than Mm -hmm. speak in front of an audience of people. And for me to be able to speak, so uh, speak about losing my legs and the heartache of all of that and how I got through it and where I went from there was really scary for me. And I didn't really want to go there. But at the same time, I had this unbelievable opportunity. And so for me, that moment of saying, okay, why not now? I say, okay, this opportunity would have been amazing if I'm 40 or 45 or have, you know, more to talk about, but no, the opportunity is happening right now. So why not do this now? And for me, that was just, that was an absolute life changing moment. It completely changed my life from that point forward. Amy, it's so amazing you you choose that story to share with your why, for your why not now because it just goes to show how we are all the same. And here, you know, I was thinking you might have shared a different story, maybe when you were nineteen and you went through um, almost losing your life and having a two percent chance to live, and yet what you just shared is something that so many people go through, and um, you considered that kind of your top of mind fear that changed your life the most. And I just love that, the juxtaposition of, um, and and hearing you say oftentimes, you know, you're not looking to necessarily inspire people, but you're, you're looking to show others that, hey, you can do this too. You can, you can push your limits and live how you want to live. And it's just, I think that that's just so cool. So, so thank you for sharing and you're as real as it gets. It's, it's, (laughs) it's interesting. You said you, you felt that you were called upon to step up and it's, I think something that I've heard a couple of times, it might've been Brene Brown or, or uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, but when we consider ourselves a little bit more of a channel for making our mess our message, <laughs> I right. think it allows us to uh, detach sometimes from maybe the fear of the spotlight or the the fear of the self-promotion or whatever it might right. be. So, and, and Ted is big stage. So that's really what it sounds like started you being willing to share your journey and thank goodness you didn't wait because now look at the people who you've motivated to, to really kind of tackle life in a different way. Um, so kind of amazing, really. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. And that's why I say that's such a defining moment because what ended up happening is I worked three long months for this short eight minute talk. And those three months, I actually had moved in with my parents and focused a hundred percent on this talk because I looked at it like, okay, this is my opportunity to do what I've always said I wanted to do. And first of all, I had to think, what is it that I even want to share? I mean, I've got 30 years of stories. Yeah. I lost my legs. Yeah. I went through all of that, but like, what is what is the main message that I want to share here? And I, I actually put a lot of pressure on myself and I thought, 
okay, if I were to die tomorrow, what did I learn through losing my legs? What did I learn through everything I've gone through? And at that point, I had quite a bit of successes in my life. I started snowboarding again with prosthetic legs. I started a nonprofit organization with my husband to get other people with disabilities um, into the types of sports that that I loved as well, like snowboarding and mountain biking and all these action sports. And so we've created this organization to empower others. And then I went on and won World Cup gold medals. And um, so I had, I did have these accomplishments at that time, but I thought, what's the one thing I've learned through everything that I've gone through? And so I, I pinpointed that. And then I also thought, well, if I was to die tomorrow, and this was the only opportunity that I ever got in my entire life to share my story. What is it that I want to share? And so I really had to dig through 30 years of experience and figure out what I wanted to share. And I started with like a three-hour talk. I basically wrote my book. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's more <laughs> difficult to get it down to eight minutes than it is to write a book, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. If you have you know a 50-minute talk or a book to write, you can put every story you want in there. But if you have to talk for eight minutes, you have to really pinpoint what it is you want to say, what stories exemplify that message. And I had like 50 stories that I felt like were very important to share. And so it was so hard for me. I mean, that three months, I, I would enjoy what I wrote and then I'd kind of send it to the TED um, the Ted producers and they'd say, okay, well, we got to cut it down to 20 minutes. And then they'd say, we're cutting it down to 12 minutes. And ultimately they said, we're cutting it down to eight minutes just right before, maybe a week before I did the talk. And I thought, oh my gosh. And I, I mean, I gutted it and I, I, I'd hate it and I'd throw it out and then I'd get this idea and I'd love it, but I, but I couldn't make it work. I mean, it was almost, it was like this OCD crazy obsession to figure out like the proper way to share what I was trying to share. And I, 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 I would, you know, write for two weeks, literally throw it in the garbage, hate everything I did start over again. Meanwhile, the clock is ticking. I'm getting closer and closer to this date. My mom just saw me put myself through so much um, torment. And she, she, you know, just being a mom, she didn't want to see me go through what I was going through. And she'd say, Amy, why are you even doing this to yourself? Just walk away. Nobody's making you do this. Just walk <laughs> away and you'll be fine. And I was like, I, I have to do this. This is, this is the opportunity that's been given to me. And I need to make sure that I, I cannot give up. I cannot walk away from this because this is an opportunity that I could just half-ass this and get through it, or I can put my all into it, and you never know where that will go. Um, but I did not want to half-ass it, and I didn't want to walk away from it. And so I, I mean, I really drove myself crazy. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk to my boyfriend, who's my now husband. I didn't talk to him for like a week at a time. He'd call. My mom would say she's writing. I mean, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote for three months. It was crazy. And at the same time, I was so scared to share some of the stuff that I was sharing. They actually teamed me up with a, um, with a speaking coach just about two weeks before. And so I gave her my talk and she kept saying, you know what? It's not deep enough. I want to know how you felt when you lost your legs. Don't just skim over it. I want to know like the deepest, you know, part of you. And if you feel it, the audience will feel it. 
And that's the stuff I didn't want to share. I was, I was way too scared to share the deepest parts of me and my fears and my vulnerabilities. And that's exactly what I was being asked to share. And so I had so much challenge and fear going into this whole thing. And I stuck it out to the end because I was committed. And ultimately, because of all that hard work, that talk ended up going viral and it changed the course of my life forever. And from that point forward, I became an international corporate motivational speaker, which is now a huge part of my career and my life. And um, it's led to all types of opportunities. And it's it literally changed my life, um, overcoming those fears and putting myself out there and sharing this story because Although I was so scared and I didn't believe that I was made to speak necessarily, it wasn't a natural thing for me. I knew that I had a story to share and I wasn't going to be satisfied until I did. And it's gone on to not just change my life, but um, to change a lot of other people's lives around the world who's, who've you know listened and shared the talk as well. So, Yeah, it's, it's amazing how that eight minutes... And, and the fear and, and then stepping up to it has led to so much more. And we, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And who knows, you know, if there would have been an Oprah Super Soul Sunday <laughs> right away or who knows, you know, Dancing with the Stars or whatever. And um, I've heard you talk a little bit about sometimes your head will tell you one thing and your heart is telling you another. So in those cases, do you have a bit of a playbook? Do you have a go-to thing you do or thing you say to yourself when you feel torn? When logically you're saying, no, this is, I'm not sure about this, or and your heart is saying yes. <laughs> I think that we're always going to have doubts when we're stepping out of our comfort zone. So there's multiple examples of my life. Um, just recently, just in in the fall, I danced for the opening ceremonies for the Paralympic Games, and 200 million people, 200 million Brazilians mm-hmm. alone, watched watched this dance. And then hundreds of millions of people were going to watch it around the world. And NBC was covering it live here in the U.S. And when they approached me to dance in the opening ceremonies, I was once again incredibly fearful because I thought, oh my gosh, this is so huge. So many people are watching. And what if I mess up? What if I don't know how to dance that well? Yes, I did Dancing with the Stars, but I danced with Derek Huff, (laughs) you know, one of the best dancers (laughs) in the world. And I was dancing with him the entire time. And I was being asked to dance solo in the opening ceremony for the games. And so it was definitely one of those moments where this is a this is a kind of an opportunity and and although part of me was loving the idea because I love dancing and moving and I, I knew what it could mean to so many people and, and just to be able to express myself what it would mean for me. But at the same time, my brain was telling me, this is really scary. You may actually make a fool of yourself. <laughs> you may not know what you're doing at all and you're putting yourself out there. And um, I battled with that quite a bit. I actually, I actually turned it down initially because wow, I really? just thought, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because even though I've done all types of, you know, I did Dance with Stars and I've done all types of different big performances and stuff, I just was really 
fearful of, you know, I did well on Dancing with the Stars. I don't want to ruin it now. I don't want people to <laughs> now watch this and say, oh, Leave she doesn't actually note. know what she's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like she doesn't know what she's doing unless she's with Derek Huff. I mean, that's that was really scary for me because, you know, he he he's amazing. And um, I wanted to show that I could do this on my own, but I also had no idea. And so um, I remembered, though, that that was the same feeling I had going into Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars, I was so scared at first that I would make a fool out of myself. I talked to everybody in my family, talked to my friends and said, I just don't know. I don't know if I should do this because what if I can't do this? What if I, you know, I'm going into these things trying to figure out the possibilities and share that with the world. That is my that is my reasoning and motivation for challenging myself publicly and doing these things is, is to figure out what's possible for myself, but what's possible for others as well. And yet there's that other side that's always saying, but what if you fail? But what if you fail and you actually show that you're not that good, that you're not that capable? And I, I took this responsibility on and always have that I'm not just representing myself, I'm representing anybody out there who has a challenge and has a dream and wants to overcome, you know, their challenges and meet their dreams. I I represent people who have disabilities who get looked down upon and I'm out there showing what you can do. So I hope I do well here because I really want to show what's possible. And so I have to remind myself every time an opportunity like this comes up, I have to remind myself, I feel the same every time. I always have my heart saying yes and my brain saying no. And every time that I've said yes, it's been a life-changing experience, an incredibly positive life-changing experience. And so when I decided to, I, I turned down Rio and they came back a month later and I, I kind of just made myself my mind up where I said, okay, well, what else am I doing <laughs> over the next year? I mean, really, so I'm scared to do something really big right now, but, but what's the other options? I'm, yes, I'm speaking. Yes. I have, you know, other businesses and things that I'm, I'm running and, and doing, and I'm an athlete, but you know, what's really, really challenged me, it challenging me over the next year. And when I realized, well, there's really not anything that's pulling me out of my comfort zone. So yes, I'm going to do that and see what happens. And that ended up being one of the most incredible experiences of my life, dancing in front of nearly a hundred thousand people in the stadium. It was just (laughs) me and this unbelievable robot. It was this incredibly artistic and creative, um, dance that was put together. I danced for five minutes on Dance with the Stars. I only danced for maybe a minute at a time. It pulled me out of my comfort zone in every way possible. And um, the people who reached out to me and wanted to share their stories afterwards uh, was unbelievable. Um, Literally, all of Brazil was watching, including all different countries around the world. But all of Brazil was watching. And the next day I was on the cover of their national newspaper dancing and the president was impeached that day. And the president was on the second page. (laughs) You're bumping the president. (laughs) Right. (laughs) With positive news. (laughs) I know. Right. But everywhere I went, people 
cried and shared their stories and said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us this gift. And it ended up being so much bigger and so much more fulfilling, so much more meaningful than I ever could have imagined. And I really easily could have, you know, completely backed out and just not done it at all because I was scared. And so going back to your kind of playbook of when I run into these situations, you know, what steps do I follow? I really just remind myself that every time I've been scared like this and I've gone for it anyways, it's been a defining moment in my life. And once again, it goes back to I'm being called upon to step up. This is something that's being presented that is going to pull me completely out of my comfort zone. And every time I've done that, I've discovered something more about myself or I've met amazing people or I've connected with, you know, other people and their stories. So much good has come out of it. So I have to remind myself every time I'm scared, it really means that I really care. It really means that I really do want to do this. I'm just scared because my brain is getting in the way. And I think that's what happens a lot of the time. We just get in our own way and we stop ourselves from doing what it is that we are, you know, destined or, or capable of doing. Absolutely. And and it sounds too like it's just, it's become a part of your, your operating system. And one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is, is kind of graduating into bigger and bigger why not now. So kind of also thinking of it as, as if we get comfortable with being uncomfortable, then there's always a next level of being uncomfortable. You have to keep pushing up. But um, you know that's that's great advice for for everyone, really. And and another question that's just been brewing <laughs> in my mind for you is: you know, we all encounter things either throughout our day or and throughout our life, uh, big and small things that just they either emotionally break us or they just kind of break us for the moment. And it's just a messy moment where you feel like things are falling apart. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. And um, and last year when you were injured and you weren't able to really move your arms that much, um, right. in, in moments like that, how do you keep pressing forward? And... Um, and and kind of more of a we get really tactical <laughs> on the show but like what do you tell yourself are there little tricks that you have where it'd be so easy i have this thing where i throw myself a pity party and sometimes i'll set my phone for 5 minutes and say okay you can gripe you can be annoyed you can even eat ice cream in 5 in the 5 minutes but once it's done it's done like do you have any things that you go to because you've overcome so much <laughs> so, yeah, so just to kind of give listeners an idea of, of what it was that I went through there with that injury. So I was preparing to uh, go into the snowboard season and start training for the next Paralympic Games, which happens next year in 2018 in Korea. And I was really excited to start training hard and make this the best year yet. And I ended up training too hard. I actually jumped into a CrossFit class that I thought that I could do. And um, we were asked to do, I think, 60 or so pull-ups, which is 
pretty impossible for, you know, most women to do, but they gave us these bands that wrap around the bar and the bands go under your feet over the bar and they help you out. So if you can only do one pull up on your own, all of a sudden you can do 15 pull ups, um, fairly easy because this band is assisting you. Well, what ended up happening is I went through, I actually don't think I even did all of the pull-ups at that time. I might've done about 40 of them, but, uh, I ended up injuring my arms on the cellular level and, and didn't know it until about two days later when suddenly my arms started to swell a little bit. And I had a friend who had the same thing. It's called rhabdomyolysis. And it's, it, it used to be rare, but now with these types of workouts, more people are doing pull-ups and kind of circuit training and CrossFit style stuff. It's actually becoming quite common. But I, I had a friend who had this two years ago, and she almost died for it, from it. She fought for her life in the hospital and um, fought for her arms as well because they they the cells were dying. And I just remember her telling me that she knew that she had to get to the hospital because her arms swelled and they were a little bit sore, but but most importantly, they swelled. And that's what was happening to me about two or three days after this workout. And so I went to the hospital primarily to make sure I didn't have what she had. And it came back that I had it and it was full blown and it was basically a race to save my arms and my kidney, uh, which I only have one kidney because I have a kidney transplant. My dad gave me a kidney when I was um, 21 years old. And I treasure this kidney, you know, it's what's keeping me alive. It's what's keeping me healthy. And suddenly my kidney was compromised because what happens is the cells uh, get injured to a point of where they don't heal themselves. Instead, they absorb into your bloodstream and then your kidneys have to filter this kind of toxic material and this breakdown and it can overwhelm your kidneys where you go in instant kidney failure. Some people get through it. Some people don't get through it. And so what was really interesting to me and so scary was that years ago when I was 19 years old, I was faced with losing my legs and losing my kidneys. Both of those things were happening at the same time, and it was so scary. And I ended up losing my legs, and I ended up losing my kidneys. Now, years later, doing something that I thought was good for me, um, I was faced with losing my kidney and losing my arms, or the use of my arms, or you know, you just don't really know how severe the injury is going to be with the with your arms and one of one of the things that can happen is the muscle group that gets injured can swell so bad that you do lose full loss of muscle. Some people actually have amputations because of it, because, um, you know, they might have to cut your arms open to let the swelling out. And it's this uncontrollable swelling and the doctors can't do anything to stop it. There's no medication they can give you. All they can do is support your kidneys and just hope that your body goes through this process um, on its own. And and their main concern was not my arms, it was my kidney. And so I was in the hospital for eight days. Uh, my arms were swelling uncontrollably. I was really sick. Um, we were flushing water through me constantly to make sure that we were diluting 
those toxins that were going through my kidneys. And, um, it was very, it was the scariest situation I've ever been in uh, other than when I was in it years ago when I lost my legs and my kidney, my kidneys. And so, um, so I'm trying to think, so I, I hope I didn't get too far off your question. No, no, no. But I wanted to just kind of give the reality of how intense of a moment that was for me. So basically what ended up happening is I survived that week. My arms, the swelling started to go down. Uh, my kidney uh, was actually fine. Um, it took about another month or two for us to confirm that my kidney was going to be okay. And so that next month I was on bed rest. Everybody else was training for the next Paralympic Games. You know, everybody was competing and the season was starting and I wasn't really even allowed to get out of bed for that next arm uh, for that next month. I couldn't use my arms just to pick up a glass of water was too heavy because the muscle cells had disintegrated in my arms. And um, the challenge is those muscle cells, once they do that, they won't come back. They're kind of like nerve cells. But what can happen, and this is what I focused on at the time, is what can happen is you can work on what you have and build what you have, and that can take over what you've lost. And for me, it just kind of plays back to everything else in my life. It's always about just use what you have, use what you have to your fullest capacity and, you know, don't focus on what you've lost. And that's how I've lived my whole life. Don't focus on your legs. Don't focus on your kidneys, focus on what you have. And, and so now I, I've, I, I had limited range of motion in my arms, but I kept focusing on the fact that, okay, if I can just strengthen slowly what I have left, then everything's going to be okay. Um, I started meditating at that time as well because I could really let my fears get the best of me and think, you know, what if I can never use my arms again? What if they don't get better? Now all of a sudden I'm looking at not having legs or arms that function proper. But I really tried my hardest to just not get ahead of myself and to just take it day by day, like I did when I lost my legs, you just have to take it day by day and see what happens. Most of the time, our worst fears never come true anyways. And I, I reminded myself at that time, too, that everything that has happened in my life that appeared to be negative actually turned into something positive. And luckily, I did have my experience of losing my legs, losing my kidneys, almost losing my life, that was such a worst case scenario for me, but it went on or I went on to do more amazing things with my life than I ever could have imagined at that time. Maybe there's a lesson I need to learn here. Maybe there's something that's actually, maybe I'm going to pull out of this and be stronger. I really tried to focus on the possibilities through this. And I'll tell you what is really amazing to me is once I was able to start um, snowboarding again this season and jumping into snowboard competitions. Now I was able to snowboard this season and do world cups. I needed to do those in order to get some points on the board to possibly make the next Paralympic team. But um, I wasn't able to use my arms very well because we have to pull out of the start gates and um, you're using your arms quite a bit as you're snowboarding. You're not using them as much as your legs, but 
I race side by side my competitors and we pull out of these start gates and we go over jumps and around berms and it's basically whoever gets to the bottom first wins. It's almost like a a motocross competition, but down the snow and down a slope. And so pulling out of the start gate is really important because a lot of times that can make or break your run. A lot of times who who gets out of the start gate first is who holds the lead and ultimately wins. And so I went into this this season doing these World Cups not being able to pull very strong out of the start gates. I was maybe pulling at 40%. I didn't want to injure my arms. I didn't want to set myself back. And these other girls who I was racing against were pulling at 100%. So they were instantly getting ahead of me. And what's interesting to me is I will say that I actually rode better this year than I ever have. And I think it's because of my arm injury. It did two things for me. One, it kind of took the pressure off because I thought, well, you know, I can only do so much here. I, if I'm not winning races, Mm -hmm. I can't get mad at myself. I can only do so much and I'm not going to re-injure myself. So it took the pressure off of feeling like I had to be the best and I had to win. And then the second thing is it made me focus on everything else that I could do to get ahead. I suddenly started focusing on strategy, on how to pressure the girl who's in front of me so that she would make a mistake and I could pass. Or I started focusing on um, just how well I was doing these jumps or absorbing you know, absorbing rollers or how well I was carving my lines. It made me hyper-focused on all these other parts of my riding that I can improve on. So at the end of the season, I, I, um, I podiumed at every World Cup that I competed at this year. And um, I think I, <laughs> thank you. I think I rode better than ever, although I was only pulling out of the start gate at about 40%. And now my thinking is, once I can get my arms conditioned and strong enough and I am able to put the puzzle pieces together, I'll absolutely be riding stronger than I ever have in my life. And that came from this incredibly scary, traumatic injury that I went through. Incredible. I saw that one of your posts on Instagram uh, a while back when you were recovering and, um, and you were kind of doing the the devil and the angel on each shoulder of the voices in your head, right? So it's like kind of positive Amy and annoyed negative Amy. And and the way that you that you were able to have that dialogue uh, surface for everyone else to hear was was really powerful because you had a comeback for every, you know, frustration and and thought and it's being able to to practice that conversation and and kind of get it efficient is it's amazing too you know working uh, focusing on um, working with what you have and right now you've discovered all of these other sharp talents and and competitive advantages <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it just incredible for sure and I was going to ask you how you you keep your mind healthy I ask everyone I'm I'm really big on mindfulness but so you discovered meditation and can you talk a little bit about how how else you keep your mind healthy and maybe even what that process was like well so definitely mental health is by far 
the most important, um, I think, thing that we can focus on because it all starts with what we believe we can do and, you know, not stopping yourself before you do those things. And so for me, trying to keep my mind confident and keep my feet on the ground, keep myself, I guess, keep myself grounded is really important. And I started meditating a bit um, during this time because I had a month at home in bed, basically. And I thought, well, I could drive myself crazy or I can actually do something that can help me in the future. And so that's why I started practicing meditation. I would do different apps. And in the past, I had played around with it a little bit. But this time I had a month on my hands with nothing to do but get my head on straight. And I thought if I can take this practice into competition season and into the rest of my life, then this this can ultimately help me. And so so after doing this month of, of meditations that I did as I was recovering, now when I go into snowboard competitions, which can be very anxiety producing, there's so much adrenaline. Sometimes it feels negative instead of positive because you're standing in the start gates just quivering and so nervous. And sometimes it takes over your body, your knees start shaking and you want to throw up and it just starts to take over. But now I'm able to use kind of that practice that I learned of, of just slowing things down, focusing on one thing, being able to control those nerves. And I find myself at the top of the start gates. I can't really meditate the same way that I did when I was home and had that month and I could lay down and, and meditate that way. Instead, I try to just focus on maybe one thing. And I, I find myself creating these figure eights in the snow with my hands just over and over again. And it just allows me to calm my nerves, calm everything else down, focus on one thing, not let other thoughts or other energies uh, enter my mind. It's just focusing on this one calm thing. And so for me, I think meditation comes in different forms. It can be taking a walk and just focusing on your breath and every step you're taking. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, sitting down, shutting your eyes and, and, and trying to clear your mind. It's, it, it, it can take place throughout the day and the different things that we do. And so for me, being able to keep my anxiety low and keep my focus clear is what's really helped me, not just with competitive snowboarding, but even motivational speaking and having nerves getting in front of people and speaking uh, pretty much every part of my life. Every Everything that I've done that's ever been worth it has been the most uncomfortable thing that I could ever do for myself. <laughs> what a takeaway. You know? <laughs> I mean, what a statement that this all kind of wraps up into, right? It's just, it's amazing how good that has been for you, but for others in the end, even though it is so uncomfortable, whether it's speaking or competing at the, you know, the top of the top, um, and these just near death experiences and like near and near and, and then again, last season or last year. So is there anything that you've been thinking about doing, Amy, that now you ask yourself, okay, it's time. Why not now? The only thing I could think of is making the decision to go back and compete in the Paralympic Games because I already won a medal. I've already done this journey 
but I recently just decided that I was going back on this journey again. And I, you know, there's going to be a time where I don't have the choice to go back and do something this athletic. Um, you know, I might be too old or there could be injury or who knows what, there's going to be circumstances that are going to come into play that are going to stop me naturally from potentially doing the things that I want to do. So right now, knowing that I still have an opportunity to go back to the games, be the best I can be, see what's possible. I did ask myself, why not now? Why wouldn't I do this now? Because I I may not have the opportunity to do this later. That's a great example of, um, of just the time aspect where, you know, we are, racing against the clock to a certain extent and and you're right. kind of shaking hands with it right now and saying all right well now would be a good time because you don't know if you will have the option down the road and and right to your point too just physiologically eventually um our bodies don't allow allow us to to compete at that level our i say our as in not everybody's doing that, but in, in general, as human beings, um, we're changing. So was that the kind of the deciding factor of I, I have a choice right now and I'm going to take it because I may not have a choice down the road? Yeah, I would say that was that was a big one is, you know, um, we just don't know what's going to happen down the road. So you can't say, oh, I'm going to put this off and maybe do it again another time this opportunity presents itself now. And, uh, I've always been one to kind of jump in feet first and go for it and see what happens. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, that was definitely part of wanting to go back and, and, and compete in the next Paralympic games, but also just the last Paralympic games, it was kind of more selfish, it was kind of a more selfish focus for me because my husband and I worked very hard to help to get snowboarding into the Paralympic Games. Uh, we spent years and years working to get snowboarding into the Games. And once it was in the Games, I then spent years training to be the best athlete I could be so that I could compete in the Games and ultimately bring a medal home. And the thought that was going through my mind then was... I have to do this. I have to do this because we've worked so hard. I have to make the team because I'm representing other people who have prosthetic legs and what's possible. And I have to bring a medal home because I've worked so hard for this. Years and years have gone towards this. And so it was a little bit more selfish focused. Whereas this time going back, I don't really have that anymore. I kind of already did that. And it's not really about me anymore. It really is about sharing this journey with other people and with with uh, this amazing fan base that I've been able been able to to build up and and just share the journey of the ups and the downs and what's possible and let's see what's possible I don't really even know but I want to share this experience with others and I, I I want others to walk away and and hear my story and walk away and say okay if she can do that then I can do this as well it's just it's it's less selfish for me now and it has so much more meaning it's so much more fulfilling for me to know that I'm not just doing this for myself. There's a much bigger reason for this. And so that was another reason for going back to the games is, is knowing that, 
you know, knowing that I can bring people along this journey and, and that maybe it will help them discover something in themselves as well. As I was listening to you, it popped into my mind in, when I read your book, which was several years ago, but then re-flipping through it, knowing we were going to have this conversation when, you know, your dad, you said that your dad gave you life twice, you know, when you were born, but also his kidney. And you're paying him back by living life to the fullest. And and then you were talking about, you know, this not necessarily being about you, but um there's a higher objective here and it's, it's bigger than you. And, and you're really walking the talk there with, with what you said, um, with living life to the fullest, not only for yourself, but for everyone else. So what are you reading right now or what's your all time favorite book? Oh my gosh. So there's an amazing book that I love called the breakthrough experience. And, uh, it's just, it, resonates with my entire life. And this man's journey was so similar to mine. He wanted to be an international speaker. He wanted to travel the world and get paid to do it. So he started telling people that that's what he does. He's a corporate international speaker. And he became just like that. I started doing the exact same thing. And I became just that. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I'm a, I'm pretty bad at letting my mind uh, run away a little bit. My imagination can run away a little bit at, at night. It seems like seems like when you lay down, that's when when you think about things. You know, you don't have time to really overthink during the day because you're doing things, and then all of a sudden you're laying in bed, and it's when all the thoughts kind of creep into your head. Um, you know, if there's anything that really kind of scares me or makes me and not, uh, yeah, it just kind of scares me. It's, I always, not always, but it, it's the feeling of, um, I'm not doing enough. There's more for me to do. There's more for me to do. And I'm constantly chasing that. Pirates or ninjas? Who's tougher? Wow. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say pirates, assuming that they've lost a leg and they're walking on a wooden leg because that's pretty dang tough. Oh, that's a good, (laughs) yep, yep. (laughs) Good answer. And final question, Amy, what would you tell your younger self? And you can choose what age that would be. I'm not sure if I would pick a specific age, but I think I would just tell my younger self that if you work hard enough and you're passionate enough, that the possibilities are endless. There are no rules. There's no rules saying you can only make this amount of money. There's no rules saying you have to do this. There's no rules saying you have to get married and have kids and follow this this cultural thing that you see around you. There are no rules. You create your life. You create uh, your destiny and and ultimately what it is you go on to do. You have all that control. And so do it. Don't stop yourself. Don't limit yourself. No matter what circumstances we're facing, we all have so much potential inside of us. And to not let those circumstances stop us from being all that we can be. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for joining me. And I'll be sure to follow along. And it's been a pleasure to witness your journey. And thank goodness to social media for that. Um, And and hopefully we'll have you back on sometime. Thank you. Thank you so much. One of the things that I took away from Amy Purdy's message was 
If something's super uncomfortable and really scary, it's probably really worth it and going to be something really good that you can do for yourself. And uh, kind of knowing that on the front end is not always easy. But if we can start to realize that before we kind of conquer it, imagine how much more excitement and energy we might bring to things that seem really scary. She said most of the things that she's done that have really been worth it have been the most uncomfortable. So quick update, let's talk Shelfie Club. I shared a Shelfie photo of a couple of books on World Book Day. They were Untethered Soul and Essentialism, which are the two books I keep talking about. And the internet kind of went bananas over them. Um, These two books are hot, evidently, and I recommend coupling them. So I've been reading and kind of restudying the two as a combo, a bit of a playbook for my life right now. And, um, and I'm just continuing to go back to these. I also just got in the mail a book called Option B by Adam Grant and Cheryl Sandberg. And Adam Grant has been on the podcast before. You might recall it was episode 22. And of course, the lovely Cheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook and the founder of Lean In. And I'm excited to dive into this one. I haven't started it yet. And I'll be really honest with you. I secretly haven't done a lot of reading over the last week. Sometimes we just have to give it a break. Um, Too much input, sometimes not enough output. But uh, Sophia Amoruso's Girl Boss TV show on Netflix just launched. And I was able to interview Sophia on the podcast episode six. So I was able to dive in this weekend into the show. And I cannot tell a lie, actually watched several episodes over the weekend. I'm enjoying the TV show. I think it's it's interesting and it's it has to be really motivating for individuals, especially young women, who are wanting to start their own business. And um, I just feel fortunate that Sophia was able to come on this podcast and share kind of the story behind the TV storyline. So as I watch, I'm piecing together kind of what she said along with the show itself. So I'll continue to watch. And if you're watching too, let me know what you think. I want to hear what your why not now is. Please share it with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Amy Jo Martin. I'll send a signed copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Renegades Write the Rules, to the first 200 people who listen, rate, and leave an honest review of the podcast in iTunes. And you'll also get a free month subscription from our friends at Headspace. This is only available to Why Not Now listeners. Once you've left a rating and review on iTunes, just email your iTunes handle name and your mailing address to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com and we'll get your package in the mail to you. For detailed show notes, head to amyjomartin.com forward slash whynotnow. That's where you'll find links to things we discussed on the show, special offers, and how you can keep in touch with guests. Hat tip to my buddies Ash and Devin at Rock Salt Music for our tunes today. You just listened to the talented John Coggins in Let's Go and Let It Ride. And a jump high five to my talented husband, Richard Gruer, for producing the show and being patient with me. See you next time. Until then, why not now?